Welcome to the Potter's House Community Church's podcast. Join us weekly as we feature our Sunday sermons. The Potter's House Community Church exists to help people be shaped by God to be followers of Jesus Christ. We hope today's message encourages you as we dive into God's Word. So grab your favorite drink and let's listen to today's sermon. So show me your mysteries, my God. No, as humans, and, uh, and especially as Christians, we can kind of rank sins, if you know what I mean. So we kind of will like say like this thing is like kind of bad, but like this thing, like that's really bad, right? You know, and so like, like Holocaust, really bad. Like that's horrible. Like don't do that, right? Little white lie, oh, what's the big deal, right? Um, and it's funny because usually the ones that we think are really bad are the ones that we don't struggle with, <laughs> right? So, uh but the thing is, is that they are things against God. And so while we might say, little white lie, what's the big deal? Or what's the big deal if, you know, I kind of hate somebody a little bit? Um, what's the big deal if, you know, there, there's just a little bit of jealousy going on that I have for somebody because they got that new truck and I don't have that new truck and I want that new truck and I'm jealous of their new truck and... Sorry, this isn't confession time, but <laughs> but what we see in today's passage in Genesis 37 is how these little root sins, these little, what we would consider small sins maybe, can fester and how they can lead to worse and worse things, okay? And so as we jump into to Genesis 37... Uh, those of you that were here last week in Genesis 36, we plowed through and we got through Esau's uh, whole family tree, and uh, hopefully we got something out of that. Um, like I said, if you need a good passage to help you go to sleep, um, you can refer back to that one. And this week's starts sounding very similar uh, to last week's, except with Jacob. Um, but then it takes a shift and we don't go the same direction, okay? So Genesis 37 uh, starts with this. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. All right, so we're kind of expecting it to go, okay, now it's going to go into all of his kids and their kids and everything else. But instead, it takes kind of a shift here and really focuses in on one. And we start to see about Joseph here. We start to see um, things relating to Joseph and those of you familiar with this story um, know that uh, Joseph was not the most popular with his brothers. They, they didn't really get along. Um, and that's what we're going to see in this story. Uh, but it starts out with giving us some reasons and showing us a little bit of why um, they did not get along. And so in verse 2 there it goes on and it says, Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers he was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, uh, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. So Joseph was a tattletale. All right? And how many of you have a sibling that was a tattletale? You were that sibling. I appreciate the honesty. All right? 
Um, and do, does it, this is what I tell my kids, hey, nobody likes a tattletale, right? Um, and so from the start, we start to see reasons why maybe his brothers don't have the best relationship with Joseph, okay? Um, it's also kind of interesting to note that out of the whole life of Joseph, this is basically like this one little sentence is like the one negative we have on him even. And even in this, he's just telling his dad what happened, right? Um, like I can't really think of another, like so many of the biblical figures, we, we know the good, bad, and the ugly about them, right? Like we know all their dirt. We know everything. Joseph doesn't have a lot of dirt. He's a pretty good guy throughout. Um, and so, uh, so with that, we, we see here that one reason that maybe his brothers don't like him so much is he's, he's ratting them out to dad for something they did. goes on verse 3. Now Israel, um, that's Jacob, loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors But when his brothers saw that his father loved him more than his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. And so, one, already Joseph's done something on his own where he's being a tattletale and ratting his brothers out. But then it becomes very clear that their dad plays favorites and Joseph is the favorite. Now, biblical scholars have dug in a lot to to this wording that's here um, that we we have translated here as uh, colorful robe or something like that. Some of your translations might translate it differently Uh, because honestly, the word translated as colorful isn't used many other places and we're not completely sure exactly what it means. Um, And so some people want to argue that what this really means is that it was a full length robe with uh, long sleeves and all this, um, or it was ornate and had all these kind of ornaments on it. Or some people just go with, yeah, it was colorful. Either way, um, it doesn't really matter. What really matters is what the robe meant or what the coat meant. And what it meant was, hey, I'm dad's favorite. And what Jacob was doing by giving him that robe, it was almost like a uniform. It was like a uniform at work saying, hey, I'm the manager. I'm the boss. And that's what we see as we go on through this story. Um, What's about to happen in a a minute is he's going to be sent by dad. He's hanging out with dad while brothers are out working with the sheep and taking care of the flock. And he's going to be sent by dad to go check up on brothers. Why? Because he's the boss. Because he's the chosen one. He's the favorite one, right? He's in a managerial position over his brothers, which they don't like. How many of you have younger siblings and would like for your parents to say, hey, you got to listen to them? (laughs) Yeah, now you get it. (laughs) That wouldn't go very well, would it? That that would be pretty awkward. And so we can start to see these reasons why the brothers don't really care for Joseph that much. Going on in verse 5, now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brother said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. 
Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the saying in mind. And so now we see that not only is Joseph being favored by his father, but now he's getting dreams from God that are saying, hey, yeah, I'm picking you over them too. Even more reason why his brothers would not care for him. And he's, he's having these dreams that are pointing to the fact that, hey, the whole family is going to bow down to me. And like I, I said earlier, but kind of in a different light, I mean, how many of you, if your sibling came to you and go, hey, you know what God told me? <laughs> You're going to worship me. Go ahead and start practicing now, right? <laughs> like, how's that going to go? That's not going to go well. That's not going to sit well with any of us. We're going to be like, what? No. What is wrong with you? And, and this does bring into topic this whole idea of dreams. Um, we see dreams in the Bible being revelations from God, um, especially the Old Testament, uh, where Old Testament figures are, are having these kind of dreams or they're like, oh, this was a message from God. This is something that God taught me. This is something that way God is interacting, where he's, he's speaking to me. Um, but some point out that once the Holy Spirit comes in the New Testament, Uh, we don't have many records of these kind of dreams anymore. Um, In the New Testament, as far as dreams, uh, the only ones I can think of are relating to Jesus' birth. So around Jesus' birth, Joseph, um, Jesus' earthly father, he had dreams from God saying like, hey, yeah, don't get rid of Mary, don't do this. And then also uh, when Herod was about to try to kill all the babies, um, he had more dreams saying, hey, get out of here. And then another dream saying, hey, you can go back now. So Joseph had dreams. Uh, but then the only other dream in the New Testament that I can think of is actually Pilate's wife um, has a nightmare and tells him, hey, I don't have anything to do with crucifying Jesus, um, which he didn't listen to her, and he did. Uh, but those are the only dreams I can think of in the New Testament. And so some people take that and they say, well, see, dreams were a thing that God had to use before he sent the Holy Spirit to interact with us, before we had the the word of God. Before we had the word of God, God would use dreams. But now we have all the scriptures, we have the Holy Spirit, so he doesn't have to use that anymore. Um, To which I would say, let's look at when the Holy Spirit came. Okay, in Acts 2, um, starting in verse 14, this is when... They, the Holy Spirit comes, the apostles, they, they all start speaking in tongues, which means that everybody around them can understand them. Uh, and so some people are like, hey, they're drunk. What is going on with these guys? And, uh, and then Peter speaks up and he, he preaches the, the sermon there. And he says this, Peter standing with 11, lift up his voice and address them. Men of Judah and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. He said, in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and all your sons and your daughters shall uh, prophesy. 
And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And so Peter connects the Holy Spirit coming actually with dreams. And so for those that say like, hey, God would no longer use dreams to tell you something because now you have the Holy Spirit. I think what Peter is saying is, according to Joel and the way I'm interpreting this is actually dreams are one of the tools of the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit can still use. So just because we don't have a lot of record of it in the New Testament doesn't mean that it's not something the Holy Spirit can still use. Now, with that said, I also want to point out that not all dreams are inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Two nights ago, I had the weirdest dream ever. I was dreaming about some dude that I knew like 10 years ago. Um, we weren't, we've never been really that close, but, you know, acquaintances kind of thing. And all of a sudden, like he's a preacher guy like me, and he was flying a really old airplane and doing stunt tricks in it. And then the plane exploded and he died. And, uh, and I was like, I woke up and did I, did I wake up and say, wow, I better call and warn him not to become a stunt pilot. <laughs> um, no, I woke up and said, Man, that was a weird dream, <laughs> right? Like, I mean, that, that's just weird. And now you guys know how weird my, my brain is. Um, but yeah, and so I'm saying this. When it comes to dreams, do I believe that God can still use them to speak to us? Yes. Do I think that every time we have a dream, we need to take it as the word of God? No. Okay? Uh, so, so we see this, this here that Joseph has these dreams, and what we're going to see through the rest of this chapter is the groundwork for those dreams actually coming true and, and the, the foundation of that starting to happen. Uh, we won't get to all the way there, but uh, we're going to see it starting to happen. Um, but, uh, but because of this, because it's clear that God has chosen Joseph and he's speaking into Joseph's life and Joseph's telling those around him, what do they do? They start to hate him even more. They have jealousy toward him even more. And I think this is a lesson that we can learn as well, that just because we love God, just because we're trying to do life the way that God wants us to do life, just because we're trying to honor him with our life, doesn't mean people are going to like us. In fact, Jesus was pretty clear. Jesus said this in Luke 21. He says, you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Happy moments with Jesus. It's like, hey, come to me. Oh, by the way, you're going to be hated by everybody. They're not going to like you. Okay? Uh, Going on, there's in John, in 1 John, John says this to Christ followers. He says, "Um, do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. So when you're you're following Jesus, when you have Jesus in your life, it's not a a ticket to like, oh, everybody's going to love me now. Right? We think they should, but they don't. But we shouldn't be surprised by that. And Joseph's experienced that here in his life because being favored by God can easily lead to being hated by men. Being favored by God can easily lead to being hated by men. And, uh, and so we've kind of set the stage for why his brothers feel about him the way they do. We can kind of understand maybe where they're, they're coming from. Uh, but 
But really, what's the big deal? What's just a little hatred, right? What's a little jealousy among brothers, right? A little one-upmanship between brothers. Well, here's some more New Testament for you before we get back to this story. James says this in James 3. James 3.16, it says, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. And that's what we're about to see happen in this story, some intense disorder. Also, back in, in 1 John, in 1 John 2, it says this, whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Whoever hates his brother in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So we see from these two verses, hatred and jealousy are two pretty big things. While we might excuse them, while we might justify them, Scripture is pretty clear on them that, no, actually they're a pretty big deal. In fact, uh, many places where Paul is listing like the big sins, jealousy is usually right in there. And so we see in the rest of the story here in Genesis how this hatred and jealousy plays out in this situation. Starting in verse 12 of Genesis 37. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I'll send you to them. And he said to him, here I am. And so he said to, to him, go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron and he came to Shechem and a man found him wandering in the fields. And the man asked him, what are you seeking? And I'm seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said, they have gone away, for I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found him at Dothan. And they saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this streamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. So that's how angry they are. They're ready to kill him. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of the hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat, and they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead, and with their camels uh, bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him. For he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. The Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben 
returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, the boy is gone and I, where shall I go? Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, this we have found, please identify whether it's your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, it is my son's robe. Fierce animals devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments and put on sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted and said, no, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. So, so we see here a little hatred, a little jealousy turns into, let's kill him. To which one of them at least has the gumption to say, no, let's, let's not do that, okay? Let's not kill him. And so Reuben, he's trying to work to, to save his brother, and he's trying to like, hey, I you know, I don't... I've already messed up against dead in life already. You can refer back to that. Uh, I don't want to do this too. Uh, let's, let's protect Joseph. I'm going to just kind of get him hidden over here and I'll come back and rescue him. But then he comes, he, he goes away somewhere and they're like, oh, hey, here's our cousins. Ishmaelites are coming over. Uh, why don't we do this? Let's get some money out of it. Let's sell him. So they sell their brother into slavery. And what do they do to cover it up? More sin. They cover his, his coat in blood. They send it to their father saying, hey, by chance is this Joseph's? Do you recognize this coat? Of course it was his. So they lie to their dad. And then their dad is in this intense moment of mourning. And it's really interesting, like, when we, we've studied Jacob's life, even with, with Rachel's death, we don't see, like, intense mourning with him. But we do at this moment where he's torn up. And then what, what do the sons do? They come in to comfort their father and be with him while he mourns. Can you imagine this? So he's in here weeping over his son who he thinks is dead and they know, actually we sold him to our cousins. But they keep the lie. They hold the lie. They let their dad keep thinking that his son is dead. And what we can see from this is that when any sin goes unchecked, it leads to more and more sin. When we let that, just that little bit of hatred, that little bit of anger kind of fester, kind of stay there, kind of remain, it leads to more and more sin. But the good news is, is that Jesus Christ has come and he died on a cross paying the punishment for that sin so that we can be forgiven, so that that sin can be dealt with. And we know that the price that he paid was received and it was, it was marked paid in full because he rose from the dead. Because he came back to life, we know that he has paid the price for sin and that we can be free from it. And so if there's, there's this little thing running in your life and you just don't know how to get rid of it, I encourage you, bring it to Jesus. 
bring it to him and say, Lord, I, I, I want to give this to you and I want you to take care of it in my life. Where, where there's anger, where there's hatred, where there's jealousy, Lord, bring love, bring forgiveness, bring reconciliation in these situations. Do what only you can do. Mend these things, bring these things back together. If you have never placed your faith in Jesus to start with, I encourage you to do that today where you can be made right with God, where you can be forgiven for all of your sin and you can be set on a path where you are right with him and you are walking in a relationship with him. You can do that simply by asking him, admitting that you're a sinner, admitting that you've done wrong and admitting that he is the savior, the one and only way and asking him to forgive you of your sins. And you can do that today. Because sin left unchecked does lead to more and more and more sin. And in fact, uh, the brothers, we've seen in this story how they, they kind of seem to just lock arms, cover it up, say, yeah, this is our story, we're sticking to it. But later on in life, we see when they come back, and a story that we'll see in a bit, but we can look at that story and see their heart and their, what's, what they've carried with them from this moment. In Genesis 42, it says this, and they said to one another, in truth, we are guilty concerning our brother and that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. This is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. So for years, they have carried this guilt. They've carried this on their backs. And they're struggling under this. And yet what we end up seeing from Joseph is a bigger picture of who God is. Because you see, why, why did, what was kind of the tipping point for them? Why did they get so angry? It was the dreams, Right? It was God saying, hey, they're going to bow down to you. When actually, in Genesis 42, that's literally what they're doing. And they don't even know it because they don't even know it's their brother. Spoiler alert. Um, but Joseph, after all of this, the book of Genesis basically ends with this. In Genesis 50, verse 20, Joseph's looking back on this moment. And here's his take on it. He says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. So Joseph can look back and even say, hey, one of the worst moments of my life where my brothers literally stripped me of my clothes and sold me to my cousins who hauled me off to another country and sold me into slavery. I can look back on that and say, hey, God meant that for good. That was all part of God's plan. And so this, this enters a big topic that we will see throughout Joseph's life is that God is sovereignly working his good plan even through man's sinful choices. Now I know that's a whole theological can of worms and I'm just gonna open it, give it to you and then pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are in control. We thank you that you are sovereign. We thank you that you are that you can even work through bad choices of men. The times where we do things wrong, where we mess things up, 
Lord, you can even use that for good. That's how mighty and amazing you are. And so, Lord, I, I pray that we don't take that and use that to excuse sin, but we see the, the truth in this passage of, of the fact that sin is an ugly thing. It has ugly consequences, and left unchecked, it can get worse and worse. And so, Lord, I, I pray for any of us who are harboring any of these kind of quote-unquote small sins in our lives right now, Lord, I pray that we will confess those things before you. We'll bring those things before you and lay them at your feet and just ask you, Lord, please heal us of this. Bring restoration, bring healing as only you can. Lord, I pray for anyone who has never been made right with you, who's never placed their faith in you, who's never received your Holy Spirit. I pray that today, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you might convict them and show them the need they have for a Savior. Pray all these things in the holy name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. Feel free to subscribe to our podcast, leave us a review, and share with others. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit our website at www.potterschurch.ca or you can connect with us also on social media. Tune in next week for a brand new episode of our weekly sermon series. We hope that you have such an amazing rest of your day. Don't you feel yourself.